Hebrews 12, 1 through 6. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is uh, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from, uh, from, from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. So hopefully this summer, many of you will be taking some trips, and I hope they are fun trips. Now, we always have those business trips and those trips we have to take, but I hope some of you are going to get to go to the mountains. hope some of you are going to get to go to the beach, and hope some of you are going to get to go do some things that you in, enjoy doing. And whatever trip you take, whether it's a business trip or it's a, it's a pleasure trip, before you start the trip, you have to begin the process of packing and planning for the trip. And, and, and what you're going to do and where you're going to be and the purpose of that trip determines on, on what you bring. Now, some of you are excellent packers. In fact, you're very proud of yourself. And others of you are horrible packers. And some of you don't care either way, right? Some of you always pack too much, and you spend half of your trip lugging and, and dragging and frustrated and overpacked and overstressed, and some of you sort of pride yourself on taking so little. Now, a lot of it just simply depends or determines on where you're going. So um, if, you're, if you're traveling in, in a luxury type of deal and you're going to have um, curbside check-in and, and a bell service and all that, then bring all your stuff. Bring the kitchen sink with you. I mean, you can, you can have somebody else carry it for you. If you're going to be hiking the AT, then you're not bringing uh, 100 pounds of material. You're going to bring as little as you can uh, and just the, the required amount. When you're carrying a, a, a greater burden than, is, than your ability, it, it creates all kinds of difficulties and dysfunctions. Um, so this summer, I'm going to be preaching about baggage. And some of the things I'm going to talk about, there are some things you ought to be carrying with you. There are some things that you ought to be um, having with you. But there are a lot of things that we need to put aside. There are a lot of things that we carry because we have invested some value in them that really have no value at all. And so that's why I'm in Hebrews 12 this morning. I mentioned to you that I preached it before, but I thought it captured the theme of this series so well that I wanted to begin here again this morning. And here's how I want us to consider this passage this morning. And three things, number one, be clear in your purpose. You got to know what you're doing and know why you're doing it to know what you need to bring and what you do not need to bring. Be clear in your purpose. Be confident in power. Who is it and what is it that provides for you and enables you to do what you've been called to do? And then be certain in your relationship. Who you are to Jesus 
changes everything about how you live for Jesus. But let's begin with be clear in purpose. And I would just direct you back to, to verse 1. So the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also. So his attention is, all right, here's the testimony, the great cloud of witnesses. That's looking back to chapter 11. But this let us also is turning our attention to now, what does that mean for you and how are you to live? So let us also um, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set, us, set, us, set before us. So that the purpose the, the, uh, the, that we are called to do is run the race to serve the Lord, to live out lives that honor Jesus with everything that we have. Your, your purpose is not to carry a bunch of stuff. Your, your purpose is not just to, to kind of float through life. Your purpose is to serve the Lord in all that you have, to obey the Lord with all that you have, and so put away anything that keeps you from doing what the Lord has called you to do. Now, just two things that I think about under the, this idea of the purpose of God. And, and the first is this. When we think about a, a big sense of what God is doing in our life, the, the purpose of the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus in our lives is salvation from sin. That's where it begins. Now notice that the, the, the writer of Hebrews said, so looking to those who have gone before, we should, and the very first thing he says we should do is put away sin. Put away those things that encumber us, that weigh us down, that, that keep us from being who we are called to do and be. The common element among all those who have gone before and now remain uh, um, as a cloud of witness is faith. So what binds all those in chapter 11 together and binds them with us today is faith in Jesus. They believed God. Now it says of Abraham that he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. When you came to salvation, you didn't do anything. You didn't, you didn't provide anything. When you came to salvation, you simply believed that Jesus died for your sins, that he lived perfectly, that he died for your sins, was put in the grave, and rose again. And the Bible says that if you believe on Jesus in faith, that your sins are forgiven and that you are made right before a holy God. The will of God, listen to me carefully, the will of God is to bring salvation to us from our sins. If you are in sin today, by definition, you are separated from God. The Bible says that if you are in sin, you are condemned by your sin. You are enslaved to your sin. That you are eternally separated from God by your sin. The understanding of the, of the judgment of God is that when the judgment of God comes, it won't be that he judges you as something that you have just done. He will judge as who you already have been. That if you come before the Lord in your sin, you are already separated from God because of that sin. You are not holy. You are not righteous. You are not perfect before, the God, before God. God, and you cannot stand in his presence. Verse 1 is linking, is the linking verse between the witness of the faith of the saints who have gone before and the object of faith that is Jesus. The witness of the saints is to the salvation of Jesus. The reason Christians lay aside every weight in sin is because of our salvation. I want to be very clear here. The reason why we can run with endurance is because Jesus has saved us from the burden, who Jesus has set us free from the burdens of our sin and broken the chains of, 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 of sin in our life. Now, friends, the work of the ministry of Jesus is to bring salvation from our sin. 
Now, verse 1 of Hebrews 12 would be a very unfair verse if it wasn't for Jesus. So if the verse was just simply, you ought to live better, that's not fair. If the verse was, you ought to quit doing bad things, that's not fair. Because in your own effort, in your own ability, you can't be a better person. In your own effort, in your own ability, you can't separate yourselves and free yourself from the bondage of sin. But the work and ministry of Jesus has already done that. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, looking back to the witnesses of those who have gone before and looking toward the one who has set us free from, from our sin says, listen, the very purpose of the ministry of Jesus was to save you from your sin. So your purpose, be clear on your purpose, first and foremost, is to live as who you have been made to be, one who is free from the bondage of sin in your life. And, all, and secondly to that, or connected to that, is to live for the glory of God. The purpose of all that God does is for his own glory. The saints of old were saved for the glory of God. Jesus suffered and died for man's sin for the glory of God. The cross and the resurrection from the grave are for the glory of of God and every lost sinner by, who comes to salvation through faith is, is, is brought to salvation for the glory of God. Be very clear, friends. If you've been saved today and you've been set free from the bondage of sin, God did that in your life for His glory, that you might glorify Jesus with all that you are. What is your purpose? What is the reason for you being saved from your sin? Your purpose is to glorify the Lord. Now, you apply that truth to whatever you do. Whatever it is that is your job title, whatever it is that you've got to do on Monday morning, do that for the glory of God. Wherever you are in life, whether you are a three-year-old or a 93-year-old, if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus, live for the glory of God. Commands of verse 1 are not abstract suggestions for a better life. The commands of verse 1 are how the redeemed respond to the glory of God. Respond to the glory of God by putting away all that hinders you from glorifying God. Respond to the glory of God by removing any sin from your life that hinders you from glorifying God. Respond to the glory of God by pursuing the glory of God with, with endurance. Run focused on the finish line. Press on until you finish. Do not quit. Suffer uh, for the goal. The, the word that is translated there as, um, that, that is translated as, as, as put away all those encumbrances literally means mass or, or weight or, or things that, that keep you or hinder you from doing what you are supposed to do. So the idea there is you are supposed to glorify God. Your purpose in life is to glorify God. And so if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus and your purpose is to glorify God, then the very beginning thing is to put away anything that keeps you from that purpose. Put it away. Set it aside. Whatever is not supportive of the purpose is to be laid aside. Dear friends, be clear on the purpose of your salvation that is to glorify God in all you do. Now, secondly, be confident in the power to do it. So, verse 2, the, the writer of Hebrews makes it clear how we do this. So, in verse 1, he says, lay aside. In verse 2, he says, looking to Jesus. And then he tells us who Jesus is. The founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne 
of God. Now, two things here about Jesus. Number one, Jesus is the founder of our faith. Now, the word that is translated there as founder means the the one who caused something to begin, the initiator, the founder, the originator, the beginning. Now, now some of your translations may, may render this word as the author, the author and the finisher of our faith. That's still trying to capture that idea that, that Jesus is the one who began it. Jesus is the one who originated it. Jesus is the one who started it. And the idea being communicated is that, that, that the beginning of your faith is not with you. The beginning of your faith is with Jesus. A founder of a company is the one who initiated it and began the work. Now, there may be more that join it, but the reason why you call a founder the founder is because it's their idea, it's their product, it's their company that they began. Jesus is the one who initiates and begins your faith. Now, this, this presses back against some of the language that we use. So when we talk about our salvation, sometimes we use language that that, that doesn't really articulate well who Jesus is in bringing us to faith. So we might use words or, or phrases like this, I found Jesus. There's some great country songs like that, aren't there? I found Jesus, and we like to sing those. Or I got saved. Or we might say, I made a decision for Jesus. Now, we know what you mean when we say those phrases, but but they don't articulate well what has actually happened in your life. You didn't find Jesus, Jesus found you. You didn't get saved in the sense that you did something, Jesus saved you. Even you didn't make a decision for Jesus, Jesus brought you to the awareness of your need for salvation and you came running to Jesus who had made you alive in the Spirit. Hebrews 12, 2 recognizes that that the faith of every Christian did not begin with them. The faith of every Christian began with Jesus. It is Jesus who awakened your heart to the reality of your sin. It is Jesus who drew you to the truth. It is Jesus who gave you your faith to believe. It is Jesus who is the author of your faith. It is Jesus who is the founder of your faith. Where did your faith begin? It began with Jesus. Now, friends, I think there is power in understanding this truth. That salvation is not about how good you are, or how, but, but rather how good Jesus is. It's not about how righteous you are, but how righteous Jesus is. If salvation is founded in you, then it is something that you accomplished, it is something that you did, and it is something limited by your ability. But if salvation is founded by Jesus... It is something that he did, and it is only limited by his power, which is unlimited and unmitigated. Jesus began the good work of salvation in your life. Now, when the the writer of Hebrews talks about putting away those encumbrances, and he talks about putting away sin in your life, the the opposite of that is instead of holding on to those things— Look toward Jesus. In other words, turn your attention to the one who is powerful. Turn your attention to the one who enables. Turn your attention to the one who saved you, Jesus, the founder of your faith. But not only is Jesus the founder of your faith, but it also says he is the perfecter of our faith. He not only initiates our faith, but he also completes our faith. Now, Paul says it this way in Philippians 1. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you 
will bring it to completion at the day of the Lord. In other words, there is, Paul was confident that for every believer who came to faith in Jesus, that Jesus would complete the work of salvation in their life perfectly. Now, the word that's translated there as finisher means the one who makes possible the successful completion of something, the one who completes or perfects. Now, notice that he connects uh, this idea of the the founder and perfecter with the cross. And so he says in in the second part of verse 2, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So he went through the cross, and, and he's talking about there by being seated at the right hand of the throne of God, that that work is finished. Jesus has completed his work of redemption, and Jesus will complete the work of redemption in you as well. I think the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage the saints to endure, but specifically to endure even in difficult moments. So the great cloud of witnesses of chapter 11 are the cheerleaders encouraging the saints to press on. We, we need cheerleaders in our life, don't we? Somebody say amen. It's just something about somebody saying to you, keep going, don't quit, that really does have a powerful encouragement in our life. But friends, the salvation of Jesus is the power by which the saints put aside sin and endure. How are you to put away all those encumbrances? How are you to put away those sins? And how are you to press on when everything is working against you? Well, our American culture would say, grit your teeth together and just try harder. But the word of God says, be confident in the power of Jesus who started and founded your faith and who will perfect your faith. The work of the cross is done. It's a testimony to the power of God. The work of redemption and sanctification continues in the hearts and lives of every believer. But our confidence is not in our ability um, or the ability of someone else to help us. Our confidence in the fulfilling of our salvation is in Jesus who completed the work of redemption on the cross and who will perfectly complete the work of salvation in our lives. I'm afraid as you preach any type of series of messages about what you ought to put off and put on, there's always a tendency there to hear that in the context of what you have to do. And certainly, friends, there's an element of obedience here, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Uh, There are some things in your life you know right now ought not to be in your life. And there are some things in your life that ought to be in your life that aren't. Some of you are struggling with that right now. In fact, one of, the, one of the big elements that you're going to deal with this summer as you travel, will worship be a priority in your life or will the beach be a priority in your life? Will, 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 will Jesus and the glory of God take precedent or will the mountains take precedent? Will, will, will giving God glory or will resting and sleeping in give, get, take the precedent? For life? Those, are the, those are the common, you're not alone in those struggle. Everybody in this room is struggling with that. I worked hard all year, now I want to take a little break. The purpose of, the, of this, the writer of Hebrews pointing us to Jesus is laying aside the encumbrances and putting away the sin and taking up what God wants us to take up is really not about your effort. It really is about the power of Jesus being manifested in your life. Oh, dear friends, recognize your purpose, but be confident in the power. Jesus will complete, finish the work of redemption in your life. That's how we put aside those things that ought not to be. And that's how we take up the things that we ought to to be about. Now, 
One other thing, and I, it is is related. It, when you're reading the passage, you can separate this out, but I, I don't think you understand the first few verses without getting these, uh, th- these last verses beginning in verse 3. So look with me in verse 3. W- w- and, and here, I'm just putting this under the, under the heading of being certain of your relationship. So in verse 3, he says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In other words, think about Jesus. And all that he did for you to save you and to redeem you. And and put that in the context of whatever it is you're suffering with. Now, it's been told to me, and it's a wise statement, however bad your life is, somebody's got it worse. And if you're you're brave enough, willing enough to complain how terrible your life is, somebody's going to come up next to you and tell you how bad theirs is, and you're going to feel bad that theirs is worse than yours. The writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, however difficult it is and however hard it is for you to endure for the glory of God, just consider Jesus, who endured not only the cross, but the hostility of sinners for you. Now, that already sort of resets the balance, doesn't it? Whatever it is what we're enduring right now isn't that bad. Verse 3, so consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Verse 4, in your struggle against sin... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Okay, all right, we get it. Suffering of Jesus trumps our suffering. Can you say amen to that? Can you say amen like you believe it? Okay, all right. But then look at verse 5. So that's sort of the chastisement, 3 and 4. Here's verse 5, the encouragement. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Now that is the key word, sons. It's a relative term. Sons, not employees, not servants, not subordinates, sons. Have you, have, you, uh, have, you not, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And then from Proverbs, he quotes, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. Be certain of your relationship. Now, two things here. The first one is the most bitter, and that is appreciate discipline. I struggled with how to say that because I, if you tell me right now that you like discipline, I'm going to call you a liar right to your face. Because I don't know anybody who enjoys discipline. We don't like discipline in our homes. We didn't like discipline when we were kids. We don't like discipline at work. We don't like discipline at church. We don't like discipline anywhere because when we are disciplined, it is a confrontation of something we have done saying that's not good. I don't like that. I don't like you telling me that something I've done is good. And, and by the way, if there's sin in our life, we would prefer just to let that be ignored and in secret than for somebody to call that out and expose that. And so nobody likes discipline. But, but, but I, I say to you to appreciate discipline because um, pushing a, a, a discipline is not a testimony of God's rejection. That's the point that the writer of Hebrews is saying. Discipline, when God disciplines you, it's not that God is rejecting you. Discipline is a testimony of God's relationship with the redeemed. He only disciplines his sons. And so it's something to be welcomed. It's something to be cherished This is the point of verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Now, you can fire an employee. You can can quit being friends with a friend. But your family, you're stuck with. For blessing or curse. Amen? 
You're stuck with them. So this idea of son, there's a connective relationship there that cannot be broken. The discipline is not about approving, uh, rejecting. It, it, that, that is connective tissue. You're my son. So the discipline is a, re- a reflection of the relationship there, the connectiveness there. Verse 1 and 2 is the command, but verses 3, 4, 5, and 6 is the encouragement. Do not grow weary. Do not become faint-hearted. Do not give up in your struggle against sin. And these encouragements are not simply platitudes. These encouragements are grounded in the relationship that God has with the redeemed. The discipline, any kind of discipline disconnected from relationship is purposeless. You're just getting discipline for discipline's sake. That has no real value. But discipline that flows from relationship demonstrates love. I love you enough to interact with you and to confront you and to even discipline you. Now, friends, we've all had those kids that have come through our lives that act crazy. And in your mind, you think, "Mm, they were mine. I'd treat them differently. But you let them go right on and you don't say a word because they are not yours. But if it was your child or your grandbaby, or even somebody that you like, kid, you probably would say something there. Discipline flows from relationship. Now listen to me carefully here. If you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, you are children of God. The Bible speaks of us as children, children that are heirs of the kingdom, children that are children of the Father who receive the, the blessing that comes only to children. God disciplines his children for his glory's sake and for his will. And so that's why I say we welcome discipline because we, we, we recognize that it, that it is a testimony of our relationship with Jesus. And secondly, as we welcome discipline, let us rejoice in God's love. Now the key, ver- the key word in verses 3 through 6 is the word son. That's why the, 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 when the writer of Hebrews quotes uh, Proverbs 3, it's a, it's a verse about sonship. Proverbs 3 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. To lay aside every weight and sin that clings requires discipline. To run with endurance for Jesus requires discipline. In the moment of discipline, it is not pleasant and frankly in the moment of discipline is very hard to say i welcome this but the outcome of discipline always causes rejoicing verses four excuse me verses five and six is not saying that you have to enjoy discipline but it is saying that you should rejoice in god's love as a test as testimonied by or testified by his discipline in your life Several years ago, I had the opportunity to travel through Europe in a, a small six or seven people um, team doing some, some mission work. Beyond the, the planes that we used to travel from the U.S. to Europe, once we were in country, um, most of our travel required us to get on and off trains. And not the kind of trains that had bell service or or um, people to load your luggage or anything like that. It was all trains where the train would pull up to the little, little local station and you had about five minutes to get on, which it was not designed for people who were traveling with lots of luggage. It really was designed for local um, commuters. And so you had your ticket, you stepped on, maybe with one bag and off it went. So 
Um, for most of us who, who packed appropriately, it wasn't a big burden. So, you know, traveling on the plane wasn't too bad. We had curved service, however many bags you brought, they put those on under the plane and off you go. But, but once we were in country, there were some of us in the group that did not pack appropriately. And so not only did they bring way too much, but you know, there's even something to be said for people who overpack each bag. I know who you all are, right? I, I see it because you pull that bag up and you get hernias every time you try to pick the bag up. And the, 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 the zippers are always screaming for help on your bags. I, I've seen them. Because you, you know, you've packed the bag and you zipped it up and then you open it just a little bit more to stuff some more stuff in there. Oh, I might need this. I, I see some witnesses out there, okay. So they, not only did they overstuff their bag, but they, had, but they had multiple overstuffed bags. So many that they themselves could not move their own luggage. And it became quite a bit of a frustration and, 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 a, and a complication because when those trains would pull up and we would get on the train, you'd look out the window and there'd be this person and they were desperately picking up their luggage and trying to just hurl it, not carry it on the train, but just kind of throw it up on the step so that they might not be left. And several times, we either thought we were going to leave their luggage or we we're going to leave them because they could not get on the train well. They had packed very poorly. And the reason why they had packed very poorly is they didn't understand the mission. They didn't understand the purpose. And they had brought things that did not enable them to be about what they, um, what they were there to do. If you don't pack well for a trip, you may not be able to complete the journey. Beach vacationers pack very differently than those who are going overseas on a mission trip. And picnickers pack very differently from those who are hiking the, the AT. Friends, if you're to live for Jesus, you must put away the baggage of sin and the luggage of anything that weighs you down and keeps you from giving your life to Jesus. And if you're to do that faithfully, if you're to do that well, it begins with being very clear on your purpose. What is the purpose of your life? You've been set free from sin to live for the glory of God. You gotta be clear on your purpose. You have to be confident in power. The way you will obey the Lord and the way you will live for Jesus is not by trying harder, but, but by letting the founder of your faith be the completer of your faith, by letting the originator of your faith be the perfecter of your faith. And be certain, no matter the difficulty moments, no matter the, the moments of hardship, of enduring, be certain of the relationship. You are a child of God. You are a child of God. He disciplines and reproves those who he loves, but praise God for that, that you cannot be separated from the God who loves you as a child. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 10.30 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening, and until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the Kingdom.